And now, a very special Johnny and Chachi Christmas medley. Hi, I'm Johnny, and this is Chachi, and Merry Christmas. You know, people all over the world celebrate the birth of our Savior on December 25th. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of very popular Christmas songs. And we wanted to sing 25 Christmas songs in under two minutes. We even have a counter here. <laughs> I'm not even sure we can do that. No, I think we can. Let's give it a go. Just hear those sleigh bells ringing, jing, jing, jingling, deck the halls with boughs of holly, joy to the world. It's beginning to look a lot like Grandma got ran over by good King Winslet's loss. Look how the bells, beats of the bells, all in the sheep as we Christmas is here. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, on, on Christmas, Christmas Day, Christmas, but you're looking to me. A partridge in a pen, they told me it came upon the midnight clear. And do you hear what I hear? Do you hear voices in your head too? No. What? In the meadow we can build a snowman. the snowman. Up on the housetop, click, click, click. Down through the chimney with Johnny Old St. Nicholas. Then you hear this way. Johnny wants a pair of skates. Hey. Rudolph the red-nosed ring of a Had a very shiny Christmas. It's Christmas time. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah. We do that every year, but I just love that one. How are y'all doing? Welcome to church. Stand with me. Today we celebrate joy. And uh, before we begin worship, I just thought it would be nice. We're not allowed to sing for legal copyright reasons, but... It's Mandy's birthday today. So could we all say happy birthday, Mandy? (laughs) Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you've called us to live lives of joy. We celebrate you today. Amen. Let's sing together. This is the first time singing this here, but if you listen to the radio, you've probably heard this one before. We worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore. 
Be quiet. 
By thine all-sufficient merit. Beautiful. Um, we're going to pray so you can have a seat. Let's just go to this Jesus in prayer. Oh God, how I loved singing the words, tidings of comfort and joy. God, I will had a picture in my mind as we were singing that song of just crawling up into your lap. 
with your arms stretched around me and my friends here this morning, knowing that your presence in our lives, oh, the comfort that it brings. This season brings with it that um, those mixed emotions of needing comfort from you and at the same time experiencing such joy and wonder because of all you've done and the wonderful things that you have given us. We look at the people in our lives who bring us joy and we look at the gifts in our lives. But even more than that, Lord, we want to be grateful for the life that you give us. Grateful for the way that Jesus came that teaches us so much about the kind of God you are. The links that you would go to to be able to wrap your arms around us. I think, how good must it have felt for you, God, when Jesus walked this earth to touch and hug the people that you love. And so, God, this morning, I pray that somehow we'll feel that. I pray that somehow we will experience a touch from you and that we will leave this place changed, that we will leave this place comforted by your presence and filled with such joy that our faces beam to those around us and that they can see the work that you're doing in our hearts and in our minds. We trust you this morning and we give our lives to you and we trust that you alone, you alone are the hope for this world. Help us to be people of hope and people of joy and people of comfort. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Joy. We hear it. And we think of happiness or laughter. But true joy far outweighs any fleeting emotions. Like a beautiful garment, joy is a response that we clothe ourselves with. And at this time of year, it's our heart's cry as we bear witness again to the birth of the Savior. And let's face it, there's not a person here who couldn't use a little more joy these days. So you're invited into that quality of joy, whether your life is full of happiness or not. It's an invitation for every person, and it's here now, because Jesus is here now. This is joy. Welcome to Christmas. Welcome to Christmas. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and today we light the candle of joy, and I'm going to light and let you do the liturgy. All right. 
So today we are reminded of the angels bringing good noise, good news and noise of great joy to the shepherds this season. Yet many are in a season of suffering, wondering how to have joy. Our joy comes from the Lord. We patiently wait for Christ to return and make all things right. Yet even in the waiting, we have work to do. Like a farmer who plants the seeds and works in the fields, we plant and work in hope that our joy will be made complete. Our joy comes from hope. We are called to stand firm even in the face of challenges. We are called to care for our sisters and brothers. The community of faith reminds us we are not alone. Our joy comes from community. We are called once again to live in the already not yet kingdom of God and to trust that Christ will return to make all things right. While we wait, we partner with the Holy Spirit in kingdom work now. Our joy comes from our hope in the Lord and from seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven even now. We light the candle of joy today, not to ignore suffering, but to acknowledge that we are not forgotten, even as we lament, grieve, or mourn. The good news is that Christ came, Christ is with us, and Christ will come again. We have joy in knowing that. In a world that still awaits the return of Christ to make all things right, We still have joy because we know that Christ has come, and Christ will come again. God of joy in the midst of whatever we are going through, give us the reminder that you are with us. Help us find joy in the glimpses of your kingdom at work in our world even now, and the perseverance to hope for your return when our joy will be made complete. Amen. I've got a, a propane torch I'm going to bring next week so we don't have these issues anymore. Right, Doug? <laughs> Maybe there's a struggle with these things either. All right, well, let's stand up. We're going to greet each other. Uh, maybe so there's some new faces around here. Get to know them, see some uh, old faces, whether you like them or not. Go say hi. Uh, kids, you are dismissed with Miss Jane and Miss Joy. And let's just uh, greet each other with, with holy kisses.
All right, we've got a few things going on here. Uh, first of all, I think uh, we got to talk about our sing-along tonight. Is that so? Oh, big three. All right, we're talking about our big three. So, big sing this afternoon at 4 o'clock. It'll, it'll, it'll feel like nighttime by then. It gets dark early around here this time of year. But we're going to hang out. We're going to sing, uh, I think it's traditional Christmas carols. Is that correct? That is it. So, come and have... Good time of singing along. Still get uh, home in time for your 6 o'clock bedtime. It's going to be a good time. So I, that's me these days. I've gotten old quick with these kids, man. I, all right. What we got next? The big serve. So we've got two opportunities to serve. Uh, I believe the name is it the Daytona Collaborative. Is that what it's called? All right. Daytona Beach Collaborative. And two different times that we're serving. Let's get back up there. Um, it says wear Ponad's shirt, but December 16th. So that is next Friday evening from 5 to 7, and then Saturday morning from 9 to noon. And let's see, here's the address here, 532 North Ridgewood, US 1 for those of you who are new around here. So we will be uh, just working together, helping to serve our community, and hopefully this will lead to us being more and more involved as a uh, I don't know if we know this, but Christ has called us to serve those in need. It's something that we often forget about, and we think about just good times, good cheer during Christmas. That is true, but our world is lacking compassion, even from the churches. So this is a great way for us to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So let's show up and uh, just get involved in our community. All right, Big Supper, December 18th. Do we have a time for this? Is that right after church? Right after church. So this is our potluck for the month of December. Last week, we had the local parade. Did anybody go to it? Is there? The local parade. We had a Port Orange parade. It was awesome. We got way too much candy given to us and other things. And uh, So we moved this potluck dinner until next week. So next week, right after church, uh, if you can, bring a dish. If not, we've always got more than enough. But I really hope that you will come. And this is a great chance to invite somebody and we've invited people before and said hey you don't even need to come to church at 10 o'clock show up and eat with us and they've done that we are looking to build relationships and introduce people to christ and that doesn't mean they have to come and do the stand-up sit-down that we enjoy and love because that will come later if that's what god wants them to do but we need to just be involved with them so having them eat a meal with us is a fantastic way to do that all right, do we have anything else? Christmas Eve. That is, uh, that's less than two weeks away. Can you believe that? That's crazy. It'll be snowing by then. I can't believe it. So Christmas Eve here, that is a Saturday evening, 5.30. We're going to have some, uh, some hot cocoa, straight from Hot Cocoa Beach. And 6 o'clock, the candlelight service. Another great time just to come. Uh, how many of you have traditions that you do on Christmas Eve with your families. All right. Well, this makes it easier this year because this is early enough to get home, do those traditions, but you don't have to go to bed early. You know why? Guess what we're doing Sunday. What are you doing Sunday, Pastor Garen? We're just going to be sitting at home with our families. Isn't that correct? We will not be here. Is that correct? I want to make sure I'm not saying that we're having church and we're not. All right, I don't know if that even been, is that a secret? I don't know if I've heard that one yet. 
So, okay, maybe I've missed. All right, so Sunday or Saturday night, be here for Christmas Eve because Sunday morning you're going to be in your pan, uh, your pan, your PJs. I don't know what I'm talking about. Pajamas, I think I meant to say. So everybody be here. It'll be a great time to celebrate the birth of our Christ together and uh, just come be together and have our traditions. I'd better sit down or something. I don't know what's going on here. So, uh, all right, let me pass the torch here. Hey, I don't know that any of us introduced ourselves. That's Pastor Jason. I'm Pastor Garen. Earlier we had Pastor Jen, and Pastor Tim is bringing the word today. And uh, we all serve um, with you. Important preposition, because we're all called to serve, right? So we help empower you to serve in your places of ministry, which is where you work and where you live and the places you eat and the places you go. And so... The four of us together are just honored to to serve with you. And I want to make you aware um, as we come to giving time that um, our Christmas offering is still happening. Um, For those of you that aren't familiar with our Christmas offering, every year from November to January 15th, we focus on um, three specific things, um, something locally here, something locally in our community, and something globally And so above tithes and offerings, we give and you have given uh, in the past years. And I pray that you'll do that again this year. Locally, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven rooms that have to be completely um, taken care of because of Ian, along with some roof issues. Roof, 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 roof. Right above the ceiling issues. Is it roof? Roof. Like boot. Boot. This is what you get. If you're visiting with us, what you get. Sorry. Um, so, so that's a portion will go here. A portion um, along with our physical serving at the Daytona Collab will go to help support that nonprofit ministry. And then if you're not familiar with, with the Church of the Nazarene, um, because a lot of people are like, what's a Nazarene? Well, it's actually a global community of over 2 million people, and we have over 800 missionaries worldwide. And so a portion of it will go to help support missions around the world. So those are the three things that the offering will go to. And that's above your tithes and offerings, which also, what you give in your tithes and offerings Our church, I want you to know, our church tithes that as well. And it's not just all going here. We send money to um, our regional um, universities to help train uh, people in various fields. We send money to missions around the world. So uh, we are very much a giving church. And I thank you because you are a generous church as well. And so that's awesome. So there are four ways that you can give. Oh, I forgot to tell you about this. Y'all, you know you're shopping Amazon. So I suggest instead of shopping Amazon, shop smile.amazon.com. It's Amazon with a mission. So basically you can select Port Orange Church of the Nazarene and a portion of their profits will go to Port Orange Nazarene, which means it doesn't cost you anything more, but they give back to nonprofits and churches that you designate. And so we encourage you, you know you're going to shop Amazon, just go ahead and set it up and all throughout the year you can be little by little, donating to the church so that we can further the mission in our community and help those in Port Orange and in the Daytona area. 
So there are various ways that you can give. Uh, but as Jason frequently says, we understand that giving is more than just money, right? Yeah. Just as a reminder, we give with our lives. We give with our actions. We give with our words. We give with the way that we help out. We give with uh, yesterday at Pharaoh's memorial, we were talking about things that he just did. He gave and gave and gave. Most of the time before people even asked. He saw a need and he met a need. And that's what we are. We want to be generous with everything we have and everything we are because we serve a generous God. Amen? So let me pray and then we'll get to uh, the meat of the, the morning with the word. So, Father... God, I pray that you will take our lives, that you will sanctify them and set them apart for a holy purpose. I pray that you will help us to be women and men that are focused on bringing you praise by the things we say, by the words um, that we don't say, by the way that we give by the connections that we make, by the way that we're constantly looking for the outsider and the marginalized and we're longing to draw them into community. God, I thank you for this amazing group of people that I get to be part of. I pray that as we head into 2023, that this year as we finish and next year will be a time of a mighty movement where your spirit falls heavily upon our hearts. And your work is done in this community through our hands, our feet, our wallets, our hearts, our minds, our voices, because you have called us to join with you in building the kingdom of heaven here on earth right now. May we be co-laborers with you in the coming days and weeks and months. We pray this in your name and in the power of the Holy Spirit to a most holy God. Amen. I just, you, many of you know, my name, is, my name is Tim. I'm the online pastor, which means I sit in the back with the computer. As Garen was talking about Smile.Amazon, I looked it up. Amazon has given away over $449 million to charity through that program. 500 and something dollars to Port Orange Nazarene. So I think we can do better than that if we direct more of our giving, more of our purchasing to Smile instead of regular Amazon. It also showed me that I have placed 332 orders on Amazon in my lifetime. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, so, oh my goodness, that's crazy. So this morning's passage, is, as has been talked about in some of the singing and, and, and songs and things that have been said, is about waiting and patience in suffering. 
And I did something this morning that is causing me to suffer. Debbie and I went yesterday and we picked out new eyeglasses. And I noticed how badly scratched my glasses were. So this morning, I opened up a case and put on an old pair of glasses because my prescription hasn't changed. Problem is, these are my computer glasses. So I can see from here back just fine. Y'all are all blurry. (laughs) And so be patient with me in my suffering this morning. I can read here just fine, but I can't see y'all. And Debbie's driving home after church today. Our passage this morning comes from the book of James, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to be reading first from the New Living Translation. Again, it's James chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you await the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for valuable harvests to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whenever Christians talk about patience, someone inevitably joins in. Don't pray for patience because God is going to end up giving you something to be patient about. People say this because many of us are not people of patience. We like two-day shipping from Amazon. We like high-speed internet. We like fast food. We don't like to wait. So when we're confronted about a passage on patience, we might want to jump right past that text, especially when it talks about being patient during suffering and not grumbling about other people and what they're doing and what's going on. How many of us have grumbled on a Monday morning when something just hasn't gone your way? Maybe in line at Starbucks or the line at McDonald's is too long and your fast food isn't fast enough. Um, I asked my Facebook community this week for their thoughts and emotions and feelings uh, when they have to wait for something. I quickly got responses that when I have to wait, I feel frustrated. I feel anxious. I feel impatient. And then a couple of my friends, they they took it in a different direction. They said, it depends on what I'm waiting for. If I'm waiting on something good, like a Christmas present, I feel giddy and excited. If I'm waiting for someone to come to my house that I've been waiting to have visit, I'm excited, I'm I'm ready, I'm good to go. And then someone else said, but, you know, if it's a bad thing that I'm waiting for, or it could be a bad thing, Maybe I feel dread or self-doubt or guilt or I'm nervous or I have sleepless nights thinking about the possible outcomes and what might happen. The most surprising response I got was from one of my friends. Her name is Joanne. She said, I've learned I just need to slow down, wait, and be nice. It gets you farther in life. As a matter of fact, last night as I was leaving the church going home, I didn't want to get on the highway because I had boxes in the, in the back of the truck. And so I took uh, Williamson, and I don't normally go that way, and so I forgot that I needed to be all the way to the left and that there was a cement barrier. And I didn't want to hit the barrier, and so I 
pulled over and I stopped to make sure there was nothing coming that I would hit. And of course, the guy behind me in the big truck lays on the horn. Debbie even said, why do people have to lay on the horn? A simple toot would let you know that they're there. He laid on the horn because he did not want to wait. I was causing him pain and suffering. And I'm assuming it's a him because it was a big truck. I guess it could have been a her. Um, But people don't like to wait. They like to get where they're going, do what they're doing, not have to have any problems in their way. You know, when it's something good, my friend said they get giddy and excited. I think about my friend Donna, who lives across the street from me. She was recently boarding a cruise in Miami and was going to spend seven days in the Caribbean. She was excited as she made the drive down to Miami. When she got there, she knew she was in for trouble, though, because the line to get in the parking garage was very, very long. And then she looked over the terminal building, and the people standing there in line looked more like a mob. And after she got out of her car, she walked to find the end of the line. She finally found it and waited. And as she got close to the terminal building, she noticed that they weren't going in, that they were circling back and going the other way, all the way past the other end of the building. And then they circled back and they came back again. It took her four hours to board her cruise in the hot Miami weather. She could have grumbled and complained, but she was going on a seven-day cruise. So even in the waiting, there was some giddy excitement, although she would have rather been on board soon. Um, Some of my friends said, if things are bad, then there's doubt, nervous, sleepless nights. If you got close to me at all this morning, you may have noticed there's a little spot here underneath the ridge of my glasses. I saw my dermatologist this week. And she had that little freezing can of stuff. And because she looked at my nose and she said, ugh, that could be precancerous. She's like, let's treat it. And so she sprayed. And then she just kind of went right on. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, you don't drop a phrase like precancerous and not talk about it. But, and so my mind has been whirling some at night as I'm waiting to go back to the dermatologist and find out what they have to say. And then my last friend said, you know, sometimes you just need to slow down, wait, and be nice. I, I sort of did that um, in the early days past, after the pandemic. Debbie and I are real Disney fans. And so we were anxious to get back and be immersed in the magic of Disney World. And Disney had lots of really good protocols. They invested in so much money in stickers that they put on the ground to tell people where to stand and wait. And so we were standing and waiting and... The rides lines were shorter so we could get on and do more things. But sometimes people standing in the line didn't want to wait, particularly the kids. And so they wouldn't stand on their line. They'd come on up and get right behind you. And sometimes I would get to a point and maybe at one of those switchbacks in a Disney line and I'd look back and I'd say, you know, if you're so anxious to get on the ride, why don't you just go ahead of me? That way I could maintain my six-foot distance back from them. Seemed like I was being nice, but really I was hoping that the parents that I was looking at as I said that would realize they weren't standing on their line and would do that. I was maybe being a little passive-aggressive, not slowing down and being nice. Ouch. (laughs) That's not uh, the way this is supposed to go. But, you know, we serve the God who created the universe, and our response to waiting isn't always patient, but sometimes it is.
frustrated, anxious, and impatient. It may feel convicting for us. This passage falls on a Sunday of Advent when we celebrate joy. But when we think about waiting, whether it's waiting in line at Starbucks or McDonald's or at Publix or at the doctor's office, joy is not often what comes to mind. It's funny, even here on the Advent candle, this Sunday is so unique that the candle for joy is a totally different color. It's pink, which is a more happy, joyous color to remind us that good things are coming in the Advent season. It feels almost contradictory to have a passage about patience and suffering and grumbling about our brothers and sisters during a week when we're celebrating joy. And what about famines and persecution and war times like in the country of Ukraine? The early church faced intense suffering. People, the apostles, were being murdered. Christians were being killed just because of their faith. What about when we face pandemics and lost loved ones? Is there a way to be patient in suffering? Is there space for joy even there? So let's go back to our passage and break it down just a little bit. As you may remember the last time I preached here, um, I like to consult multiple versions of the scripture as I'm studying and preparing for a sermon. And I didn't bring a stack of Bibles this morning. Many of you told me later you were afraid that that stack was going to fall off the table. Um, but one of the versions of Scripture that I, that I read was from the message. It puts it into more modern English for us. Eugene Peterson is the translator paraphraser of that. So let's look at our passage from the message. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the Master's arrival... You see, farmers do this all the time. They wait for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow and sure work. Be patient like that, steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you. You know, the judge is standing just around the corner. Take those old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything and went through everything and never once quit. All the time they were honoring God. What a gift of life this is to those who stay the course. As I read this passage multiple times, it really breaks down into four or five parts. The first one is we need to be waiting patiently for Jesus' arrival. The second part is a story about farmers. The third part is just a simple statement. Be like a farmer. The fourth part, don't judge other people because you're going to get judged. And then remember the prophets. They were faithful and sometimes nobody listened. So that first part, wait patiently for Jesus to arrive. We all know it takes about nine months for a baby to come. That's a long period of time. And we're celebrating during the season of Advent, the time of waiting for the birth and arrival of Jesus. But we're also remembering and waiting for the second coming of Christ. And you know when someone announces they're pregnant, they also tell you their due date. So you know when that's coming. But with the statement in the scripture that the judge is standing at the corner. We don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back. 
but we need to be waiting and anticipating and anticipating with joy that second coming of Christ. It was about this time last year that our daughter and our son-in-law told us that they were expecting a child. And sure enough, just as planned, end of August, baby Killian was born. And during those intervening months, the winter and the spring and the summer, there were lots of trips for me, driving to Sanford, hopping on a plane, flying up to West Virginia, and then going and helping them get the nursery ready. There were baby showers. There were all of those things that you do when a baby is coming, gathering in the stuff that you'll need. And oh my goodness, there's so much stuff. There's so much more stuff now than when our daughter was born 27 years ago, all the things that you need. So people wait for the baby to come, and we're waiting, like I said before, celebrating and and remembering baby Jesus, but also waiting for the second coming. The second part of our scripture passage is a story about farming. How many of you have ever farmed? You've planted crops, maybe had a garden in your backyard, When I was a teenager, probably about 13, 14, we moved from a subdivision where our houses were right next to each other out into the country a little bit more. We had about two acres of land, and my dad ordered and got a Troy-built rototiller. It's a big red beast of a machine that he used to break up over half of our backyard. And we planted seeds, and we put things in the ground, and, and we worked them. The thing that was remarkable to me is that when you're planting corn, you dig a little hole and you put three or four corn kernels in there, seeds to create a corn stalk. And then the scripture tells us the farmers patiently wait. But that doesn't mean that the farmer is sitting up on the back porch just drinking tea and waiting for crops to grow. No, we put those three or four kernels in and sometimes two or three corn stalks. Once in a while, all four of them would come up. But you'd have to go back behind six, eight weeks later and look at the corn stalks and pull out the ones that didn't look like they would do as well. And you'd pull those out. And then a few weeks later, you'd have to go back and you'd have to take the hoe and you'd dig the weeds out from around it because they'd go in by the corn and choke it out and it wouldn't be able to grow. And so that patient waiting that the farmer is doing is not like just sitting around. It's actively doing stuff. And then, oh my goodness, we didn't just plant corn. We did beans and tomatoes and cucumbers and corn. There were a few strawberries in the back, but they didn't grow real well because it would flood out. But my parents both were working full-time jobs, and so in the summertime, as the crops started to come in, it was me and my aunt and my older cousin that had to gather everything in, and there was way more than we could eat. And so as a teenager, I learned how to make pickles dill pickles, bread and butter pickles, canned beans, make tomatoes. To this day, I still don't like pickles. But we worked to do that. And the scripture talks about the farmer and says we need to be patient like the farmer. Well, the farmer's patience is not just sitting in a chair. It's actively doing stuff. Jesus' followers would have known what farmers do. Only a couple of us raised our hands that we've done farming. So we don't really know that metaphor. If this uh, passage were written to a more modern-day audience, perhaps there would be a different metaphor used. Uh, Prior to the pandemic, I was a frequent flyer. I traveled most weeks to a college or a university campus. There's a lot of waiting when you're flying. 
you'd have to show up at the airport. I'd drive up to Daytona. I'd get there an hour, hour and a half early, once 20 minutes early, and I still made the flight, but I tried not to do that on a repeated basis. Um, but there's a lot of waiting. You go through security, and then you sit and wait to get called, and then you get on the plane, and you wait. Sometimes you're waiting for a flight attendant, the pilot, maintenance to fix the plane. There's a lot of waiting involved. But it's not the kind of active waiting that James is telling us to do. When you're a traveler at the airport, you just sit and wait. There's not a lot you can do that causes that to be any different. Or, again, the Disney park visitor. How many of you waited in line at Disney or Universal for a ride? That's a whole lot more of us than have farmed. They even put up signs that tell you how long you're going to wait. 80 minutes, 120 minutes. The longest I ever saw was 210 minutes. It's almost four hours to get on a single ride. I didn't wait in that line. Um, Now they have, they used to give you fast passes for free. Now they charge you for the ability to buy Disney Genie and not have to wait in line. But that waiting in line is not the kind of waiting that James is talking about because there's not a lot that we do while we're waiting in line. We talk to our friends, we watch the kids get grumpier, and, uh, and we go on. And then the doctor's office is another place where there's a lot of waiting. We wait a lot there. One of my doctors had a sign-up in the back of the the check-in desk that says, if it's 15 minutes past your appointment time, please let someone know. Oh, I'm sorry, in my world, 15 minutes is a lot of time. I don't even want to wait that long for my turn with a doctor, but sometimes we wait a long time. But again, waiting at the doctor's office is not that active kind of waiting. I do have a story of waiting that is active that I want to share with you. In the fall of 1999, I had a weird illness that the doctors to this day aren't even sure what I had. But after three months of not working and going to doctor after doctor after doctor, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure and kidney disease. My kidneys were only functioning at about 25% in the fall of 1999. And they said, okay, this, you can live the rest of your life with your kidney at 25%, but we have to continue to monitor you. And so I was waiting to see what would happen. Would I live the rest of my life with my kidney at 25% or would something happen? And for 10 years, I waited. And I would go to the doctor every four months. They would draw more blood. They would check the levels. Yeah, you're good. Toward the end of that ninth year leading into the tenth year, the numbers started going in the wrong direction. And it was a February night in 2009 when my doctor called me on a Friday night at 7 p.m. The doctor herself called me on a Friday night at 7 p.m. You know that's not going to be good news. And she told me on that call that your numbers have gone way down, You know, they'd been trending down, but they had dropped. She said, you're at about 8%. Next week, you need to have an appointment with the surgeon, get your dialysis catheter installed, and you'll need to start doing dialysis. So I waited for the weekend, made the appointment on Monday morning to see the surgeon, and it wasn't long, and I had the, the surgery to put in the dialysis tube, and I went for a week of training and learned how to take care of myself while I was waiting for a donor kidney. 
Now, thankfully, once I started dialysis, I was able to do the last test that was required in order to get approved for a kidney transplant. You see, there was that one last test that they had to do, but they had to use contrast dye with the MRI, and contrast dye is hazardous to a kidney, especially a diseased kidney. And so I couldn't have that last test until I was on dialysis, but I needed to train. And so it was that waiting process. So once I started dialysis, I just naturally went about my life sort of telling people, hey, yeah, I'm on. you could tell there was tubing sort of taped to my body over here. When I was traveling with tubing taped to my body, if my shirt was a little too tight, it made for an interesting conversation at security. Um, but I would just tell people, yeah, I'm on dialysis. I have to hook up to a machine for eight hours at night. Yes, I'm waiting on a kidney. It was just normal conversation. One day at church, I was sitting at my desk, and across the wall, my friend Molly was sitting at her cubicle desk, and she hollered over the wall and said, Hey, Timmy. She's one of very few people in this world that are allowed to call me Timmy. Uh, she hollered over the cubicle wall and said, Hey, Timmy, what type of blood would someone have to have in order to donate a kidney to you? And I said, Well, I'm an A, so it would have to be an A or an O. And we were having a blood drive coming up that week at church, and so she had her donor card out, and she's like, Oh, I'm an A. I should give you my kidney. And she's like, what's the process? And I'm like, well, you'd have to call the office and they'd interview you and you'd go through some tests. And she's like, okay, give me the phone number. I'm like, yeah, right, she's going to give me her kidney. And so I didn't give her the phone number. And over the next couple of weeks, she would ask and say, hey, Tim, give, give me the phone number. I want to make the call. And finally, one night in March, I got a text message from her on my phone. Three words. I looked at it. It said, dude, Timmy, number. And I'm like, oh my goodness, she really, really wants to do this. And this is where God was involved, because at every stage of the testing and process, Molly was a perfect match for me. That surgery happened in 2009. We're 13 years past. I saw my kidney doctor just a couple of weeks ago. Numbers are great. Everything's normal. Life is good. It's a great thing. God was involved in that. But it was that active waiting that I did, talking about needing a kidney, that prompted her to even think about giving a kidney to me. And that's the sort of admonition that James is giving us, is be like a farmer. Be active in what we're doing as we're waiting for Jesus. As we're waiting for Christ to come at Christmas and we're remembering and celebrating the birth of Christ, also be active in remembering and anticipating the second coming of Christ. We should just be sharing that in our normal conversation. James then says, don't, in my translation, he says, don't get grumpy and be mean to people. Sometimes we do that. I remember the waiting. I grew up in southern Michigan. My grandparents, my dad's parents were in the Upper Peninsula, about a seven-hour drive away. My mom's parents were in northern Alabama, about eight hours the other direction. As we were driving, nine-year-old Timmy didn't like it. He would always ask, are we there yet? If we were going north, have we reached Pinconning where we're going to stop and get cheese and crackers and salami for the rest of the trip? If we were going south, have we gotten to Wapakoneta? That's a fun rest area. Have we made it to where the rocket is at the rest area yet? And then my sister's about five years younger than me. 
It wouldn't be long until she'd holler out, Dad, he's on my side. He's touching me. It was a long trip, more so for my parents than me. I got grumpy with people. I teased and picked on my sister. James is telling us, don't be like that. Be nice. And to remember the prophets of old. We know the prophets as they, as we read their stories. They remained faithful to their calling. They would proclaim that the Messiah is coming. The the king is coming to earth. And people wouldn't listen. And they would still continue to proclaim it. But people wouldn't listen. You know, I think... I think of, um, of my friend Eric uh, that I've met online in the anticipation and sometimes people not listening. Um, Eric is the weather forecaster on the weekends for WESH TV. And uh, I listen to his 8 a.m. morning coffee talk shows often. Jen was actually poking fun at me last night at a dinner saying that I was a fanboy of Eric because on Facebook it actually tags me as being a top fan because I do comment a lot on what he says. And I did happen to say that I have had email conversations with him about solar panels too. Uh, But um, as Hurricane Ian was coming several weeks in advance using his weather forecasting techniques, he was saying there's something interesting going on here in the Caribbean. It was off in the east past Puerto Rico. It wasn't a tropical storm. It wasn't even an area of investigation. But he follows a weather theory that says the weather patterns repeat and recycle every year. And so you can watch in October and November and predict through the weather what's going to happen during next year's hurricane season. And we were due for repeating cycling. But this is going to get interesting. A lot of people think that this weather theory doesn't hold any weight, that it's not meaningful, but you can prove it over and over again. So on the Coffee Talk broadcast on 8 a.m. on Monday, we were all talking about the storm, and we were watching because it's sort of the way Hurricane Charlie came in and went through. And there are these boxes that were discovered by a meteorologist called Bear. And in the Eastern Caribbean and the Western Caribbean, that if a tropical storm happens to go through one of these boxes, it's almost a surety that it's going to hit South Florida. And sure enough, that storm that really wasn't anything passed through that Bear box and came in at Fort Myers. Well, it's that active preparation again, that active waiting for a hurricane. I grew up in the Midwest. I'm used to tornadoes. You don't get any notice. It's just the weather's kind of yucky and then boom, there's a tornado. But with a hurricane, you're preparing and you're waiting for weeks and weeks. People would get on and they're like, it's, it's almost the end of hurricane season. Can we start eating our hurricane snacks? No, you can't eat your hurricane snacks until November 1st. And so as we're watching Ian form and come, and he's coming to the western part of the state, that business traveler part of me kicks in and I've got to go to Reston, Virginia, to our corporate office. So leading up to the storm, I'm at the gas station before anybody's at the gas station getting gas cans filled. I'm getting propane tanks filled up. I'm showing Debbie how to start the generator in case the power goes out. And as the the storm keeps forming and keeps coming, I call my boss and I'm like, I think this is going to be a big one. 
and I don't know that I can leave Debbie at home alone during a hurricane. She's never actually started the generator. And so they agreed. I flew up on Sunday. I was there for the training on Monday. I flew home on Monday night so that I could be a part of it and meet people. And sure enough, we all know what happened with Ian. We're still dealing with it here at the church. Hurricanes are that kind of active waiting and participation. I don't know very many people that wait with joy for a hurricane. Some people trying to cheer me up will often say, well, I hope and I pray the hurricane doesn't hit you. Well, I kind of like that too, but if it doesn't hit me, it's going to hit my friends in Brevard or it's going to hit my friends in Flagler, and that's no good. Um, Eric talks about fish storms. That's my prayer, is that as a hurricane comes in, that it glances off and then it goes out to sea and it becomes a fish storm, meaning it only affects the fish. It doesn't even go to Bermuda. Um, so waiting, as, as you think of hurricanes, that's another kind of active waiting. James is telling us here we need to be active in our waiting for the coming of Christ. We need to talk about our faith and church things. You know, it's constantly said, don't talk about politics and religion and social gatherings and events. But we need to share our hope that we have in Christ and Christ's coming. I had a chance encounter yesterday with Drew at Great Clips. He was getting his hair cut and I was next in line behind him and the lady cutting his hair was the lady who cut my hair. And as he was leaving the chair and I got called to the chair, she's like, well, how do you know him? I'm like, well, we go to church together and we got to talking and I told her, I said, tomorrow's sermon, I'm, I'm actually delivering it, it's on waiting and having patience and suffering. And she's like, oh, that's just, that's just weird. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of like, why do bad things happen to good people? And she's like, yeah, why is that? And we got to have a little conversation as she was cutting my hair. It was just natural. It wasn't confrontational or anything like that. But it was just a way of being active in our waiting for the return of Christ. And who knows, Bridget may be watching. I told her it was going to be online. She doesn't live right here in Port Orange. She drives for her job. Another thing I do to be active in my waiting is I get involved in my neighborhood. I volunteered to serve on my HOA committee, the design review committee. So if somebody wants to paint their house, they have to send us a copy of the color that they want to pay it. And there's a group of us that meets every other Monday and we review. And as long as it's not purple, it's generally approved. Uh, there was somebody last time that had something about the purple and the yellow that they were, and we're like, purple and yellow? What? And they were doing a project in two phases and they had circled one part of it in purple and one part in yellow to tell us they were painting their house beige in different phases. We were nervous for a little while with the purple and the yellow. Um, I also serve my neighbors by starting Facebook groups for our community. Places where people can gather and talk about fun things that are going. Last night our neighborhood had a Christmas golf cart parade. And people set it up and they went out and they threw candy at people that were waiting on the sides. But we meet together not to be negative. We try to create it as a positive space on Facebook where people can make friends, offer suggestions and recommendations to people. So we have to be active in sharing our faith and sharing the message that Christ is coming again. Let's take a look at our passage of Scripture one last time, this time from the New Revised Standard Version. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crops from the earth, 
being patient with it until he receives the early and the late rains. You must also be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Brothers and sisters, don't grumble with each other. Don't touch your sister in the back seat when your parents don't. No, that's not in here. Uh, Don't grumble with one another so that you may not be judged. You see the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We're called to be active. We're called not to just wait. Don't just sit in your house and go, well, Jesus is coming again soon. We need to be sharing that message with other people. And as we transition from our time of the sermon into our time of communion, we also take an active stance where we remember not only the Christ of Christmas, but the Christ of Easter and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're going to transition from that time period into, um, into the communion service. So, Garrett, come on. So even uh, am I on? Am I on? Okay. All right. Even our oh, I don't see it, but our slide says we remember, we proclaim. It's this active, active waiting. We remember and we're waiting, and but we also proclaim. We're active in this. Um, on the night that our Lord was to be betrayed. He was with his disciples in the upper room, and he was sharing a meal with them. It was the Passover, and they were celebrating God's freedom that was provided for them thousands of years earlier, something that God had told them to remember and regularly regularly celebrate. And Jesus, with his disciples, at, the, at one time took the bread And he lifted it up and he gave thanks and he broke it. And as he held it up, he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Take, eat, and be thankful. And then at the appropriate time, he lifted up the cup, the cup of the juice. And he held it up and he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be shed for you. For the forgiveness of your sins, take, drink all of it and be thankful. And so 2,000 years later, we are still taking the bread and the juice, remembering and proclaiming what Christ did what Christ has promised to ultimately complete, but also what Christ is doing in us even now as we remember and we proclaim. So we're going to come to the table, and if you're visiting with us, we we come to the table and we all partake from one loaf and and the same cup. And so, if you're visiting, you are welcome. You don't have to be a Nazarene. To, you don't have to be a member of the church. This is open, an open table.
for anyone who wants to know more about Jesus, for anyone who says, he's my savior, or maybe even, I want to know more about him being my savior. John Wesley would say that, that this can be your initial act of, of coming to this point of salvation just by coming and saying, I want to know more. And if that's you, I want to take a moment and pray with you. And then I want you, if that's you, to follow up with Jason or me or Tim or Jen, and we want to talk to you about it. But let's pray. God, there may be someone here that says, I don't understand all of this Jesus stuff, but I understand that my life needs a Savior. I understand that at the heart of me, just like at the heart of every other person, is this self-centered, carnal nature that is looking out only for myself. And it's a destructive seed that will eat me alive. And I can't do anything about it, but God, you can. Thank you for sending Jesus to do what we couldn't do, to die for our sins so that we could have a right relationship with you. Thank you for loving us that much. And so, Jesus, I pray that if there are those that don't yet know you here, that this would be the moment when they say, God, I give my life to you. I surrender, Jesus. Forgive me for my sins and help me to learn to walk in your way. Help me to learn to live in this anticipation of your coming again, but this excitement that you are coming to life in our lives even now. For those of us that proclaim you as Lord God, I pray that this will be a moment where we remember and rededicate. I pray that this will be a time when we say, yes, just like I'm taking in these elements that nourish my body, I am going out to be your hands and feet to a world that's dying, and I choose to take Jesus out into the world. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here's how we're going to do it, just for uh, lack of craziness. If you're on this side, we're going to encourage you to work your way down this row and up that row, and then you back to your seats. If you're on this side, you guys get to pick, you know, whichever side you want. We're going to encourage you to come down this way and then work around that way, And so uh, that will kind of help there not be a train wreck here with people not knowing where to go. So there you go. Train wreck used in communion. Um, I pray that this is a meaningful act of worship for all of us. So come when you're ready. And I told Kimmy, this is joy and this is this is good news. And so I said, Get a song that is joyful and let's come to the table and celebrate.
Thank you for being here today. I hope that you'll join us tonight at four. It is going to be super casual. Come comfortable. Come ready to sing some traditional carols. And we'll, we'll have, so here's the plan. We'll have a list of carols and we'll let you guys decide which ones you want to sing. And we'll have a little bit of background on the story or the author. And then we'll sing it and we'll go on to the next one. Sound good? I hope that sounds good because that's what we're doing, and I hope to see you at four. You can invite your neighbors because these are the types of things that, whether you go to church or not, you hear a lot of these carols on the radio this time of year, and a lot of people just love the traditional things. So let's finish by singing our benediction with me. Sing. We sing hallelujah, let your kingdom come in our hearts in our homes let your will be done as we go in your name we shout and we proclaim let your will be done in us have a great week we'll see you hopefully tonight